no matter where you are, there's only one gear on this vehicle, and it's your best. Where you start, where you go, all of it is the best at that moment. And so I find that we judge ourselves a little too much, especially on sales, which is feeling so vulnerable. And so remind yourself, do your best with the knowledge you have, continue to grow and sell powerfully in the process. Welcome to Too Legitimate to Quit, instantly actionable small business strategies with a pop culture spin. I am your host, Annie P. Ruggles, and my guest today is the fabulous Jason Mark Campbell. Jason Mark Campbell is the author of Selling with Love, Earn with Integrity, and Expand Your Impact. He is on a mission to inspire small business owners with sales reluctance to embrace it as a beautiful activity that transforms lives. He also interviews thought leaders from around the world on topics of leadership, team building, communication, productivity, and so much more. Jason Mark Campbell, my brother in ethical, love-filled selling. What the heck do small business owners need to focus on this week? Well... Small business owners might want to consider that sales is not as scary as it needs to be. And when you can do it from a place of love, it can be some of the most magical parts of your business where you will find yourself excited to actually get to that part. Because most people try to skip it. They want to get to the good part, but they might miss out on the fact that sales might be the good part you never knew could be a part of the juiciness of running your business uh, when you do it from a place of love. And I'm hoping to show with people exactly how you can actually shift your mindset from fear to love. And when you do so, the magic stat starts happening. Listen to all these gorgeous words you're dropping about selling. I mean, and I feel this way because this is my world. But like you're like love, magic, juiciness. None of that sounds terrifying. None of that sounds manipulative or evil. It sounds all ooey gooey and wonderful, right? So, all right, let's talk directly to the stigma. Sales. When we think about it, a lot of us, not you, not me, but a lot of us don't think about the words love, magic, or juiciness. So where did the stigma come from and why is it still around and how the hell do we start debunking it? Yeah. I mean, this was the whole investigation that I did when I wrote the book, Selling with Love. Um, my first book, and it was such a journey I was going on to really see why do we have such a negative bias. It's not about being indifferent about sales. Is like we legitimately hate sales. Yeah. Sales is like that thing, the last activity. I will work on every other part of my business. Heck, I'll do accounting before I do sales. At least I feel <laughs> safe there. Right. Oh, that's so totally true. It's like I will clean my desk. I will sort, I will defrag my computer and I will go and pull out tax documents before I follow up on a dying lead. Like, that's just true. It's just true. Yeah. And you know what's surprising, Annie, is you would think, oh my God, I wish I was like these professional salespeople who do it all the time. They at least get to do it. But no, the statistics in the sales world are the same. People that are professional salespeople still struggle with following up. They don't mm -hmm. follow the procedures. They hesitate. They struggle. 
And this whole fear is predominantly the emotion that is found in the entire sales world. And I'm on a mission to change that because I, I got lucky. I, I got exposed to different ways of selling at a very young age where most people we have either direct or we have a friend that bought that used car that had a terrible experience or we've watched the movies. We've seen the Wolf of Wall Street, which entertaining. Yes. Role model. No, maybe not becoming a person <laughs> that starts scamming people all the time. Why would you want to associate yourself with that? No. And that happens all the time, right? When that is our definition of sales, fortified a million times over by pop culture, by personal experience, right? By just the way that people talk about selling, but also all the ways that we've been sold to horribly personally over all this time, right? When we when we look at those things and then we look at our clients or our prospects or we look at those things and then we look at you know, our purpose, our passion, our mission, any of those big proper nouns, of course, there's going to be a disconnect between Wolf of Wall Street and your, you know, ooey gooey Brene Brown vision. Of course, those things aren't going to play nicely. And so we do exactly what you said, which is we we look for ways to skip the step of selling. And one of the things I see with my people all the time in the Non-Sleazy Sales Academy is People come to me and they're so eager not only to skip the step of selling, but to farm it out, right, to delegate it. So they're like, I will market myself to death and then I will bring in a closer. And when I bring in a closer, I will give them all of my profits as long as they do the scary part for me. And I tell people all the time, you are your own closer. Keep your money you think that you have to transform into some other person in order to close, and that's dead wrong. So why do you think we have this idea that if we just bring in a deus ex machina in this Gordon Gecko format, that it will A, help our business, and B, not totally kill our business when the prospects we lured in with love and ethics are suddenly turned over by your own hand to some shark closer. What the heck do we do about that? Yeah, it, it's so interesting, right? Because we all know we need sales. It's something that we fundamentally understand that if a business to exist needs to have a sale, it's a transaction, money needs to be exchanged. But what's funny is that we start thinking about sales and we define it based on examples of all the negative sales experiences. Right. Because that's the only ones we really remember and associate with sales. Every great sales experience you've had. Like I, I had somebody mention this, this quote and I thought it was funny. It was like, you can go and buy, it was Sarah McCrum just to give the credit. She's like, when you go and buy a loaf of bread, a sale is made, but we don't feel any emotions about it. We don't remember it. We don't think about it. Thank you. And so what do we think about in sales? Oh yeah. When I tried to buy that cell phone package and it was a terrible experience, the person was pushy. Okay, someone told me I need to do sales. I should mimic the bad sales experiences that I remember right now. And that is how I think sales should happen. And this is the biggest issue. It's like 80% of sales, because let's be honest, sales as a professional is not a category of profession that you need to be certified, trained, filtered out. You get a name card or not even need a name card. You pick up the phone and you're a salesperson. So yep. you have a vast majority that are average, below average, and outright terrible. So if you're bringing sales into your organization, and that's the baseline that you're most exposed to and most remember, then of course you have resistance. You don't want any of that yet. I wrote this book, 
And I know for you in the Non-Sleazy Sales Academy, we're not in the business of teaching anything new. We're in the business of highlighting the greatness that has happened generations for generations that we don't talk about. Yes. I was fascinated. Uh, There's a book in the 60s called The Greatest Salesman in the World. Are you familiar with that one? I have that book. (laughs) It's a classic. Oh my God, I have this book. It is an absolute classic and nothing and everything in it is like meet the customer where they are listen more than you talk and it's like y'all to your exact point not new customer service not new do you remember the first one? Oh my god what was the first the one first tell one me is love yes yes where is this book i'm like ripping my office apart now listener <laughs> trying to find this book because it's it's so foundational but we've we've moved away from it through a thousand tiny stigmatized sales and and i freaking love love that you brought out that we catalog the negative but we do not catalog the positive so that barista that totally got us to upsell into a cake pop when we didn't want one but damn that cake pop tasted great and made our whole day we don't think about that as a sale we think about that as customer service right? We put that in the bucket of customer service. We don't go, that person sold me that cake pop. Ah! And yet somebody that sold us shit nine years ago is still our definition of selling. That is so absurd the way that we catalog. And the other thing that I see people tunnel vision out of is their own natural sales ability from other roles in their life. Coaching is selling. Parenting is selling. Nursing is selling. Social work is selling. And so I get all of these helper type people that come to me and they're like, Annie, I can't sell. I'm horrible at selling. And I'm like, did you get your kid to eat broccoli yesterday? Because that was sales. We also don't count those things as the ability to convince people to do what we know is in their best interest, aka selling, right? So what the heck? What? Why? Are we, when given so much glorious information, still so afraid to try love-led selling for ourselves? Well, on top of everything we've talked about so far, think about childhood, Uh, the childhood beliefs, the Mm -hmm. traumas that hold us back. But here's one that I find very interesting in conversations. When we're kids, like are kids natural salespeople? No, but yes. They're shameless. They're shameless and terrible. They don't care. They really don't care about anybody but themselves. So when they want something, they just ask for it. They keep asking. They keep asking and they just become annoying little sales mongrels. But as a parent, (laughs) as a parent, the straw at some point will snap. And to no fault to any parent here, but here's an anchor that can relate to a lot of people. If you've had a childhood, you've wanted things and you couldn't get it. Maybe parents were in a different situation. They didn't think it was in your best interest at the time. But the phrase usually goes like this. No means no. Stop asking. Yes. Now that, I believe, is one of the single biggest reasons why we actually have so much hesitancy on following up. Because we had an authority figure that told us stop asking. No means no. So being asked to follow up to be quote unquote pushy. People were like, the last thing I want to do is be a pushy salesperson. I'm like, when you care about the impact you're going to make in someone's life and you understand the client with a great product, it's your duty to be pushy. You push, now, you you're can be relentless. Pushy in a beautiful way. It doesn't need to be sleazy, 
but you can mm-hmm. be firm and use every trick in the book to get that person to understand the value you want to provide to them because mm-hmm. that's not manipulation. That is empathy. And dedication. It's, it's speaking the language that's necessary for people to understand why you're doing this for them. Heck yes. A billion times yes, right? We cannot, we cannot sleep on things like follow-up because our competitors who care less about them than we do are not sleeping on the follow-up, right? But I love that you're like, our kids natural salespeople. And I'm like, no, yes. Well, and my first thought was, and, and it's so funny that it goes back to this because we're talking about, largely we're talking to people who are selling their own products and services, right? Where we've, we've left the confines of selling somebody else's widgets and wrapping paper. And now we're out, you know, selling our, our soul, our vision, our, our purpose, our methodologies, right? Whatever it may be. And what's like so freaking bonkers about that is when I think back on a kid and I talk about one of these two things a lot, I talk about door to door, like cookie popcorn wrapping paper sales, which is you have to do it. There's somebody else's metric on top of it. And they give you very little training. And, and then the parents are like, stranger danger. Don't talk to strangers. When you get a no, that's fine. But then you have to go ring doorbells and be like, hi, do you want to go buy some popcorn that every other kid on the street is selling? But buy it for me. This is awkward. Wait, you want me to come into your house? What? Who? What? Huh? Right. So on that one, it's like, ooh, stranger danger. I don't like this. But then you give that same kid a lemonade stand and complete control. And they get out there and kill it, right? You leave and 15 minutes later, they've they've commissioned cookies from the kid down the street. So now they're lemonade and cookies and the kid's a freaking mogul. And then you come back again and they're doing a three for one special, but the price has gone up four times. And you're like, this kid is crushing it. This kid is absolutely autonomously on their own out shilling this stuff gorgeously. And, and what's funny on that is I see the, the door to door stranger danger feeling stays with us. The lemonade hustle. How else can I serve these people and beat every other kid on the block in a loving or fun competitive way? I don't see that grow up in many adults, even though we still have complete control. So I love that idea of like, how would kid you sell for better or for worse? Are you still selling like kid you would sell? Are you still selling like door-to-door wrapping paper? Or are you selling like a lemonade stand when there's something you really, really want, but you know your parents aren't going to cough up that money, so you better hustle? Like, I freaking love that. Now, you had said early on, speaking of childhood or or the younger times, um, that you were exposed to some non-traditional, cool examples of selling with love early in your life. Tell me more about that. Tell me more about your journey uh, and relationship with sales. I love the examples you use, Annie, because there's one of those examples that I need to use about my origin story, which is as a teenager, I had to go sell these chocolate covered almonds door to door to my neighbors. No. No. Mm-mm. Never again. Mm-mm. Now, for me, my experience was very different. I went to knock at my neighbor's door, and I—I'm from a small village, by the way, so I think there was a lot less of the big city fear. So, small mm-hmm. village, everyone's kind of friendly, and I'm from Canada, so you know, everyone's kind of friendly, right? Everyone's Canadian in Canada, right? You know? So, 
here's my experience. I, I knock at somebody's door, shy little kid, just like, hey, would you like, and I think I'm like 15 at this time. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, do you want to buy some chocolates? And the portion goes to charity. It's $2. Um, and they're tasty. They claim to be the world's greatest. They're probably lying, but it's still pretty good. <laughs> already being and, honest. Already yeah. being honest in the shtick. People just like, yeah, sure. Two bucks, not too bad. They buy the chocolate. They're happy. I'm like, oh, that was fun. And I did this for all the first doors and everyone's reaction was just like, oh, this is like, oh, chocolate. Why not support a good cause? And everybody liked chocolate. We weren't so health conscious back then. So if chocolate covered almonds, bring it on. There's almonds in it. There's your omegas, you know. There you go. It's a vegetable. That's all we needed. (laughs) Come on. It grew on a tree. So we're good. Well, here's the funny part is I think it's by the sixth or seventh door that I go knocking. Uh, The lady, basically, I I make my epic pitch. Do you want to buy chocolate? That's pretty much it. And uh, she says, hold on a minute. Let me just ask if my daughter wants some. And lo and behold, daughter comes down the stairs. I'm a French Canadian and this is an English household. So they're going to a different school. And what do I see? Beautiful girl. Uh And she's my neighbor. And Uh I get her number. And she ends up being my first girlfriend. And so- what a magical coincidence. So now you're really loving sales. You're like, gorgeous French Canadian score. Yes. <laughs> so that's a fun story. But honestly, these were some of the first impressions I had was like, wow, selling makes people happy and great coincidences and magic seems to come across. I still think those are possible. And then following this, I found myself sw- selling swimming pools, retail. And as such, it's basically, hey, we're going to get to redesign your backyard into something you can enjoy your summers beautifully. Like yes. that's a fun thing to sell. Um, then I went into real estate and this was my beliefs was that, hey, for every person that gets to be on the phone with me and comes to get their house listed with our agency or to actually buy a house with our, our brokers, we're going to do a service to them. I had to follow the script. And to me, some of the biggest people you see in the space of personal growth, um, you think of like the Vishen Lakianis or any of the yeah. uh, Tony Robbins and stuff. They all seem to have this type of telephone sales experience. Mm-hmm. There's this graduation process that comes from doing telephone sales, yep. which is a bit of the grit, the resilience you need to build. I think that our skin's a little thin. I think we, with the 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 internet, which was going to gloriously promise everyone that we will no longer need salespeople. <laughs> The opposite is we need them more than ever because we're so confused now about how to make decisions and we need a great salesperson to guide us. But it's made every buyer be so thin-skinned and everyone who wants to get into sales has not had the experience. So now, guess what? It's an even bigger struggle than ever. And it's a shame. It, It truly is. And this is my thing is I've went through an experience where I got scammed really bad in this real estate investment seminar. Mm-hmm. And I just want to see a world without douchebag sales and marketers. Amen. And that's why I need Hallelujah. to teach the good people how to sell. And if they can get their businesses to make the impact because they acknowledge and use the sales tools, that is why I'm here. Heck yes. Heck yes. I told you in the pre-chat, when I find loving ethical salespeople in the wild, like you said, like what I teach is not new. What you teach is not new. We're curators. Right. We're curators of how to do this right. And we're translators of how to do this effectively. And and yet. It's so refreshing for me to hear this from you because it just affirms. You know, we grew up differently. You grew up in the in Canada. 
I grew up in the US. You're a male identified person. I'm a female identified person. We're about the same age, but we grew up very differently. And it's like this, we've come to the same cause through different paths, but yes, through, through phone sales. I, my background in phone sales was uh, selling free happy hour parties that aren't actually won, right? So the fake contest angle. And I used to sit in the basement all day and have a stupid ass script that I used to have to shove down people's throats of being like, oh my God, Jason Mark, the other day you came in to the thing and you won. And oh my God, we're so excited. And here's what you get. And it's like, get the spiel in before they hang up. Right. So for a really long time, my main sales strategy was get big, get loud, get shrill almost, get them excited through transferable excitement, dump the spiel in, and then try to get them not to hang up. And when I would do that in my business with my natural enthusiasm, the natural enthusiasm part worked really great. I wasn't selling fake parties anymore, right? I was getting to sell things I was genuinely enthusiastic about, but there was still something in me that was like, get the spiel out, get the spiel out before they hang up, right? And so listening and empathy were just gone, gone. And it wasn't until I stopped and I was like, what would happen on a sales call if I shut up? What would happen if I totally left my script in another room? What would happen if I just shut up and listened and addressed problems as they came up and handled objections and actually took the time to figure out what the objections were, right? Because that's the other thing. If we're getting the first easy no and taking it, we probably don't even know what their actual objection is, which could be very easily solvable, right? It wasn't until I released my death grip on my spiel and actually started looking at sales as a form of connection that stuff started to change for me. So I just, I just want to validate just every single thing that you've said so far about how you show up in selling is everything and how you show up in selling is your choice. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, right? Because we often also look at role models in sales and we think, Oh, I need to sell like this person or that person. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it can give you a bit of a kick maybe when you have the initial paralysis um, from just moving forward. It gives us the comfort to look at ways of selling that could be like X person, right? But yeah. we have to come back to the fact that we are a unique way of selling. And I love just looking at the differences. You can see someone like you know, uh, Tony Robbins. You know, If I look mm-hmm. at personal growth examples, uh, I worked in this industry for a while, so I'll probably use most of those. Um, mm-hmm. They go out and they're big, they're loud. And if you're a more introverted person that can't transfer that enthusiasm as easily, then you look at this and you feel like it's impossible to reach that level. Yep. And I'm very comforted when I see someone, and I'm going to use another male example here, but at least it gives you the contrast, is someone like Elon Musk, where yep. he's awkward, stumbles, and kind of monotone. But he's making big sales. Like you look at a Tesla launch event for like the Cybertruck or the Model 3, there was nothing left to chance. This entire thing was a sales galore and they generated, uh, I think it was tens of millions of dollars in deposits for hundreds of millions of dollars of sales. Mm -hmm. And all of that came from someone that has, I believe he publicly discloses Asperger's, but just stumbles and is a little awkward. And you're like, wow, he doesn't need to sell like Tony Robbins. 
So maybe I don't need to sell like Tony Robbins. And I think there's a process of self-discovery and finding that comfort within ourselves to just be like, hey, I'm connecting with another human. And I think the quality that is going to be best serving for people is enthusiasm. Great. But I, I tell people, when you start to love selling and you everything about selling with love is about putting you in that emotion of love, the enthusiasm will come naturally. Yes. The quality I really suggest for people to nurture is actually curiosity. Ooh, 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 tell me more, tell me more. You got to be curious about people. Like when you talk about uncovering objections, like you'll give up on people and say, oh, they said, no, I'll go away because you don't care. You're, you're not curious. Yeah. And no. when you step back and you're like, I'm genuinely curious about this human, this is possibly someone I could really serve. So why don't I go on a mission of curiosity? And I think especially for people at the beginning <sighs> stages, if you just go out there with an idea of who your target market is, right? Like you have to have a bullseye of who is the perfect person you could work with and then identifying where they're hanging out and just have curious conversations with as many people that could potentially be like this ideal target person and just ask themselves, is this a problem you faced? Is this something you've tried to solve before? What have you tried? Did it work? Why not? Why did it? Is there still a problem? Is there anything else? Get curious. Forget the sale. Have a hundred of those conversations as a research project. And then Start forming the product based as a response on what you're seeing these people typically need to have solved. Yes, on pattern recognition. From every one of those conversations at the end of a conversation like this, which, you know, okay, I don't want to go into the sales mode yet because that's too scary. But you could say, listen, I might be putting something together that could solve your exact needs. Would it be okay if I follow up when it's ready? And now you have a list of leads that you can follow up with that are going to be qualified. And so especially for early stage businesses, this is a strategy I often recommend. Um, as long as you can go out there and have an idea of who you serve, you're clear on what, because you know one person could say, what I want to do in the world is change how batteries work. Another person could say, I want to you know, solve the distribution of, of food and supplies. There's so many different things we're caring about, an impact we want to make. So I'd say start being curious about what's the impact you want to make and finding the people you can make that impact for. Uh, also, A Mission of Curiosity is the title of your next book, please. That is just freaking gorgeous, right? Because that's yeah. what it is. Get curious. And, and you know, the one of the traditional things about Avatar, not the show, Avatar the Practice is like, what's their favorite pizza? I'm like, that's not the curiosity I want. The curiosity, fine. If you want to know their favorite pizza because you're a pizza enthusiast and it matters to you, then great. But I want curiosity about who's burned them in the past and how we can make up for that. I want to know how they measure success. What are their metrics of success? I want to know what the hesitation is for their other deciders, right? Because they're not making this purchase alone in a lot of the time. That's the kind of curiosity we're talking about. And so when you're talking about a mission of curiosity, looking at this from all sides, I want to make sure that we're not also just getting mired in surface detail that doesn't matter. We want to know them better so we can serve them deeper. Ah! All right, all right, all right. Before I go crazy, I've also brought you here for another purpose. And what's going to be absolutely hilarious about this is we have created this like casserole of love and warmth and curiosity and joy and, and sweetness and light 
and charm. And now I get to be like, what does all of this have to do with Attack on Titan? Arguably the most gory, violent anime slash manga ever, right? So we're going from this lovey door-to-door almonds young love story into people literally getting eaten in front of their children. Jason, Mark, what the hell is going on with any of the, with this? What does Attack on Titan have to do with selling with love? If you go forward and sell with love, you need something to purge. And this would be the show. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Right. We all need a counterbalance. Exactly. No, I'll tell you why this is actually really interesting. Because anime is really a fun genre. Uh, it's getting a lot of popularity. And when you look at a show like Attack on Titan, it's actually one of the most in-depth, complex stories. And I don't want to reveal any kind of spoilers, but most of animes, you'll have like, a hero is X, and he finds bad guy, Y, and he maybe gets the girl or gets the guy, they go on adventures, and you you know what everything is. You're like, these are the good guys, these are the bad guys. Yeah. But when you're in Attack on Titan, you're given a set of assumptions People start getting curious about what's going on. People start asking questions. They're doing research. They have these giant monsters that are coming in and relentlessly trying to attack them and eat them whole. These would be the negative salespeople. And you just say, oh, all these salespeople are bad. These giant monsters are just coming in, taking over. They're taking away our children. What's happening? (laughs) This is as close as I can make the parallel here. But <laughs> I'm picking up what you're putting down, right? It's like, especially because if y'all see like any images of this at all, there's always like a wall falling down. And so that's you with <laughs> all of your objections. And then instead of being like, how can we come together and, and scale this wall in a healthy way? It's like, nope, here's Attack on Titan. I'll just eat the damn wall and then kick it. And the whole thing will fall on people. Sleazy sales in his house. Right. So yes, keep going. Keep going. No, The big (laughs) parallel I think would be to make here is that, you know, as much as we can look at sales as like, Oh, sales, that's what the bad guys do. I don't even want to do anything to do with them. I want to separate them with a wall and be comfortable in this space. There's so much more out there for us to discover. We're not even aware of what possibilities exist in the way that we grow a business. And if you look at everything around sales, like big, scary monsters, and you don't take the time to understand that, oh, maybe at the back of their neck, you can just make a cut there and they'll fall down and be defenseless. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You can start to see that things get a little more complicated. It's not just about bad guy salesperson and you good person. There's good and bad in you. There's reasons why people end up being in the type of negative salesperson. And you have to have compassion. Nobody wants to screw over another human. Circumstances Mm -hmm. make it so that you feel compelled to do that. You know, I was on a conversation with a gentleman, I believe it's Chris Walker. And we talked about, he asked me a question. He was like, can someone who's being needy be selling with love? And what a great question. It is a great question. I couldn't come up to the answer as quickly as I do now, but the answer is no. Uh -uh. See, abundance is what allows for selling with love to flourish. If you're desperate and you're trying to pay rent, it's very difficult for you to sell with love because you're so blinded by your needs of now. But selling is a long game. You know, out of 100 people you meet, maybe 2 to 5% would be open to buying now. But the vast majority, like 60 plus percent, would be open to buying from you later. And many studies we do when I was working at Mind Valley, 
which is an online personal growth company. Yay! Yeah. We noticed that most people that made their first purchase would be in the database for at least 90 days. So if you feel like you need to close a sale to make your quota this month, you're mm-hmm. compromising on the abundance that you can provide for people you're having conversations with that will want to buy eventually. Yeah. So again, the parallel with the show is definitely just saying we're not just innocent people and the bad sales are there. We need mm-hmm. to see that there's good and bad in ourselves. We need to be as abundant as possible. We can seek to understand why people decide to behave that way and not treat every salesperson like an evil demon. There's yeah. something for you to learn from every one of them. And your world might be turned around and realize that it's much bigger than you thought and your business might expand when you start to integrate sales as opposed to treat it as shadow material. Oh my God. How did you just pull that off? That was gorgeous. Freaking gorgeous. But you know, one of the things is like, you know, they're always because the people are like, I drank this serum and now I have the power of the Titans or like I it's like very Spider-Man, like this radioactive spider bit me and now suddenly I'm Spider-Man. Right. But there's part of that, too, of that idea of like that power is there for you to shape into good or ill. Right. Raw power, the raw power of selling is there for you. And rather than rebel against it, you could also use the exact raw power of selling to stick it to the bad guys by being more profitable and successful yourself using those exact same tools. Because like we've talked about all along, this is not new. Curiosity is not new. It's novel, but it's not new. It just gets put under everyone else's bravado, right? So I love that idea also of like becoming the titan temporarily when you need to to rise up against sleazier competitors right it's like if they if your people if your presence is getting drowned out by the bigger the bolder the meaner the nastier you don't have to i love what you said about enthusiasm you don't have to rise to the same energetic level or volume decibel but you do have to be willing to take up space for you and your prospect if you can't take up space for you take up space for them Take up space so that the prospect has somewhere to grow and breathe, right? Because again, the competitors are just trying to break down the wall so they can eat your mom right in front of you. (laughs) Well, you know, what's interesting, especially in Attack on Titan is everyone's very clear on what they're fighting for and their, their beliefs are very strong and rigid. And as the show evolves, you start understanding that maybe everything you're fighting for isn't for the right reasons. And you start questioning who the bad guys really are. Mm -hmm. And everything starts changing when you start to discover more. And so one thing I might lace in my own concepts, which is actually, I have five loves of selling I speak about. And the first love you should fall in love with when you want to sell with love is loving the impact. And I I spoke about this a bit earlier, but it's about having those things you care about. And then you're going to go on a journey to really defend it. Like an example could be, I'm going to go out there and I'm, um, Well, I'll give you an example of the swimming pools because I've done this. I'm out there and I'm transforming people's backyard and I'm doing some amazing things with swimming pools. And this is what I do. This is my purpose. This is the impact I want to make. And so I will go forth and sell. But then maybe new information comes where now this is not real information. I'm going to make it up to make a point. So please disclaim it is not a real statistic. But imagine that 50% of people with a pool, a child drowns. This is a false statistic for an example of extreme measure. 
But the moment I discover that, I start realizing, oh my God, I've been selling something horrible. I've been killing children. What I want to leave as a point here, which is something I think Attack on Titan does so well, is it makes you start being curious and question when new data comes in, is go forward, pursue that impact you want to make, but always be questioning if that is your true impact. And you can always change as you evolve, because there's some causes I fought for when I was in my early 20s. And as I grow, I start to discover more, I start to shift, and I try to grow in consciousness, and I'm always trying to do my best. And I think that's an important thing for people to remember, especially in sales when you're getting started. No matter where you are, there's only one gear on this vehicle, and it's your best. Where you start, where you go, all of it is the best at that moment. And so I find that we judge ourselves a little too much, especially on sales, which is feeling so vulnerable. And so remind yourself, do your best with the knowledge you have, continue to grow and sell powerfully in the process. There's only one gear and it's your best. Wow. I just want to sit in that quote for a minute because I tell people all the time while we're waiting for the payoff, right? The 60% to come back around, the inevitable eventual buyer to come back home. That requires so much tenacity. It requires so much patience, right? But still, when people are like, it's not moving fast enough, Annie, it's not happening fast enough, I'm not closing fast enough, the question that I routinely ask them is, did you do your best? Pass, fail, did you do your best? And if they said, yes, I showed up to the best of my ability, not my best ever, but my best capability of the moment, that's how we win the day right? We do our best, whatever our best is in that moment. Oh, well, this has been the best. I feel like I need to go like lie down, cry, watch something violent, have an emotional purge, and then wake back up and make some money. So this is fabulous. I'm truly inspired. I got two more questions for you before I release you back to your gorgeous evening uh, and to the next brain you're going to blow because I know you're doing back-to-backs tonight. Uh, My first question for you is you are given the power of titans you are given the power of titans and you you know much like on the show different titans there's the smiley titan and the beast titan and the da 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 da. you are given the power of titans let's put a time limit on it for 15 minutes you can morph into the biggest scariest or not scariest but biggest deadliest superpower imaginable what titan power are you harnessing for those 15 minutes and how are you going to make that time count oh that's a good one well what i'm not going to do is use any of the existing powers that they have because that would be way too much of a spoiler and i'll give a hint to people there's one of the powers that gets revealed only in the last season that changes everything more on that later But what I will say, as far as the powers go, you know, it's very interesting because um, one thing that's not a spoiler, I think it's known quite early, and I will use this one, is there's one of the powers for a Titan that can actually change people's memories. Ooh! But it's so powerful that I don't think it's right to use it. I think it actually is a big moral point within the story is if you had the power to change people's memories, would you do it based on what your version of what the best memories you should let them have to be as happy as possible. 
And so you think of that superpower, you're like, oh my God, I'll eliminate all the negative sales experiences and biases or any of the, the pain we've ever felt. Let's just have everybody only have happy memories. But I don't think that's the point of living. You know, yeah. I've, uh, I've personally did a, an experiment where I mapped out my life in different areas. And one of the categories was actually emotional. And my beliefs around that was life is about the ups and the downs and like the range of emotions you get to experience is actually what makes a life complete. And so the up can't be up without the down. Yeah. And so that's a way of me getting out of your question a little bit, but I will say I'll do this. I will just comment on this thing. I would not use that power, but if I had to transform, I will transform into the big one that has like a 10 pack, looks goddamn sexy. And then I'll do a photo shoot because I'll be 10 foot tall and looking ripped with apparently no genital. Maybe I'll take back the genitals because they don't have genitals, but I want to keep the genitals, but I will look sexy, giant, and... Uh, then I'll come back 15 minutes later and look at the photo shoot and say like, hey, mom, look at me. <laughs> Even the most benevolent salespeople in the world can still look out for number one. I love that you're like, look, I don't want to erase people's memories, but I will have a damn good branding photo shoot. Yes, on the honesty of that answer, because if you're going to have anything big, you may as well have giant abs. I love that answer. I can't yes. argue with it. <laughs> Jason Mark Campbell, if our listeners, and I so hope that they do, want to come into your world, start a conversation with you, and learn from you. They're tired of hearing me squawk about sales. They want to hear you gorgeously break it down. What is the best way for them to come into your world? Uh, well, I'll, I'll give them an answer, and I'll give education at the same time. So I find LinkedIn has been so fabulous, growing well, being very powerful and connecting, but there's a mistake that a lot of people make is okay. when they send a connection request, they don't add a note. And I get so many connection requests without a note. I'm like, who are you? I won't accept it. And so when you want to reach out to people, and again, for finding your client avatar, LinkedIn's amazing, and you can reach yeah. out to these people, do interviews, et cetera. I digress. If you go to LinkedIn and you simply connect with me, and you have to add the note that you found out about me on Too Legitimate to Quit, there's a few things I want to do for everyone. Number one, we'll have a conversation, which is fabulous. But more importantly is I have this $200 course. It's a challenge for five days. I talked about five loves and selling. In this challenge, I get everybody to actually build maps to get clarity on how to come from love when it comes to the impact you want to make, the clients you want to serve, the product you want to build, the processes you want to apply. And of course, the ultimate love you need to work on if you want to sell from love, which is self-love, facing yeah, your fears. Maybe. If you'd want crystal clarity on that so you can be unstoppable every time you get on a call and be like, hell yeah, I'm about to give some love with enthusiasm to this person, um, I'll give it to, to free. For anybody who puts too legitimate to quit, connect with me on LinkedIn, say, I want that freebie. Uh, yeah. This is my five-day challenge and I'll give it to free. For anybody who signs up, I'll just give it to you. Because if you're already listening to this podcast, I know you care about growing your business and you're one of the good people. And so if I can empower the good people to go through a transformation, to get clear, you'll be part of the army of enlightened sales individuals who are going to shift what is our view about what sales should be. And you're going to be the ones that succeed and drown out the douchebags who will not have a place to exist because you're out there serving like a king and a queen. And so that is what I would love to offer and a way to connect. Legit, y'all. You can't see me, but I have tears in my eyes. I just got so excited about that. I'm like freaking weeping on showing up and serving with absolute love 
and enthusiasm and care and all the things we want to see more of in the world. Thank you so much for being my guest today. It has been a true honor and pleasure to interview your beautiful heart and brain. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much, Annie, for having me. And uh, yeah, everybody, keep selling with love. Y'all, I'm going to pull myself together, stop crying, and be back in a second with my final thought and your homework for this week. Well, hey there. I have been thinking a lot about competition this week. My whole life, I have shied away from it. I have a sneaking suspicion it's because I had the shortest legs in my grade school class by far, so the field day class race never felt fair. Surely I should have been given a head start. But I spent all last week at Chicago's Comic-Con where pretty much everything was a variation on a theme. If I saw one Spider-Man print, I saw a hundred. And yet, nobody seemed angry or fearful of the booth next to them. Jason Mark is technically my competitor. Moreover, he wrote a book called Sell with Love. That could have been my title. His clients could have been my clients, theoretically but they found him first. But as you heard, he's an impossible person to fear. He's so genuine. He's so gentle. And I've always been a collaborative kind of gal. The truth under all of this is that I am not titan-sized or titan-powered. I absolutely cannot hope to dismantle the stigma against selling all by myself. But For me to create change in this world, I'm going to need help. And dang, I'm just so excited that we can do this together now. Your homework this week is to go out and befriend one of your so-called competitors. Don't just DM them. Send them your calendar link. Have a virtual coffee. Interview them, for gosh sakes. Get to know their hearts and their minds. It's important that you know the truth of both so you can fully understand who your allies are. Allow them to refresh you with their passions. They love what you love. Be inspired by their spin on things. Jason Mark says sales reluctance. I say sales avoidance. Isn't that fascinating? Who knows what this convo might evolve into if you just give it a chance? Partnerships, referrals, publicity. Who knows? Maybe just a great new friend. But remember to show up as your true self, not all puffed up and fancified. If we want to get to know the real them, we need to show up as the real us. Hey, thanks for listening. Too Legitimate to Quit is brought to you by the Non-Sleazy Sales Academy and me, your host, Annie P. Ruggles. Listen, we talk a lot about marketing on this show, and that's because I fully, earnestly believe that every dime and every moment we spend marketing is totally worth it unless we turn around and sabotage ourselves at the finish by refusing to sell and sell beautifully. Why? A lot of us have a misconception of what selling actually requires of us or who it needs us to be. Please give me the opportunity to help change your mind at www.nonsleazy.com. That's N-O-N-S-L-E-A-Z-Y.com. 
Big shout out to the fabulous dudes who helped make this show what it is. My producer and editor, Andrew Sims of Hypable Impact. My composer, Riley Herbastio. And my show artist, Francois Vigneault. They're all fabulous and I'd be glad to introduce you. Until next week, just do your best. And remember, you're too legitimate to quit. <laughs>